Hello and welcome to We Random episode 60B. We made it to the big 60. I mean, that matches old man Wiggum's age. Anyway, this is uh, We Random. We are recording live on Tuesday, November the 30th. And uh, this is a podcast where we just talk about random stuff. That's pretty much it. B will give you a little bit more details. But B, you know that every night, uh, every time we do this podcast, we start with a dad joke, right? Some kind of stupid joke. Do you know where I keep all these jokes, all these dad jokes? I keep them in my dad base. My dad base. Thank you for that joke, Emily. We'll be right back after this, everybody. Almost Qualified Productions. Experts don't have this much fun. Welcome to We Random, episode 60. I'm Brian. That's Christopher. Let's say hello to all of these wonderful people out here, Christopher. Hello, Hello, everybody. So, as you all who are returning loyal listeners and viewers may know, we've got our Wheel of Doom over there with topics on it. For those of you who are new, we've got a wheel with topics on it. What we're going (laughs) to do is we're going to spin that wheel. The wheel's going to tell us what we're going to talk about. Christopher's going to swear. I'm going to think about swearing and not swear. And then we're going to spin the wheel again. Is that a good synopsis for this podcast? I don't always swear. I mean, come on. All right, I always swear. Let's keep it real. Yeah. That's fair. You know. So, before we jump right into our wonderful Wheel of Doom, do you have any words of wisdom for the people other than Mr. Rhythm today? Yeah, so make sure that you get those Thanksgiving leftovers frozen if you still got them in the fridge or eat them right away because they're going to start going bad here pretty soon. So, take care of yourself. Stay safe. Good one. Did you get the Mr. Rhythm drop going? Are we still no, working on No, I'm that? still working on that. I, I don't have a copy of DC Cab, so, okay. and I couldn't find the clips on YouTube to steal it. So I think I'm going to have to rent the movie or buy the movie to get the clips. So. <laughs> okay, that's too much. Yeah, right. so, we'll, so we'll, we'll, we'll leave that. We'll, 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 we'll have to keep looking. We'll figure it out. Sounds good. Well, now that our tummies are all full of that thanksgiving food and our hearts are filled with joy from having a nice long holiday let's get mad online what do you say perfect i need to swear and let's first start with uh major league baseball lockout what's going on with this b i don't know if this is going to make us get mad online but we're going to talk about it so Come 11.59 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday, December 1st, Major League Baseball's collective bargaining agreement with the Players Association expires, and for the first time since Skanzi was, you know, 30 years old, that deadline will pass without the ratification of a new collective bargaining agreement. Actually, wasn't Old Man Wiggum the joke of 60? Sorry, he was, that's yeah. my bad. Yeah. But... It's 30 years since the last lockout, but MLB is now expected to impose a lockout of all of its players, tabling all transactions until both sides can hammer out a new agreement. So for those of you who are not familiar with this, the Major League Baseball has owners and then there's a players association and typically they come together and they agree on the terms of 
what's going to happen in terms of revenue, what's going to happen in terms of pay, all of these different things. And typically these agreements are five years long. So this agreement that they have is now expiring and they have not been able to agree on a new agreement. So what you're seeing right now is lots of fun money being spent by the Mets and some of these other teams because they know as of December 1st, they can no longer spend money. So um, basically, a couple of the key issues here are that the players feel that their earning power has been marginalized by the over-reliance on analytics and owner indifference to actually trying to compete. An example of this is that while revenues for teams have increased annually, the average player salary has fallen each year since 2017. Now. On the owner side of things, while national TV rights have continued to skyrocket, the owners have concerns about what the long-term viability is of the local TV contracts. Also, the rise of tanking, which is intentionally losing to procure high draft picks without the intent to win for several years, is something that has become a very contentious issue. So, Christopher, do you feel like I covered that sufficiently to give folks a nice background as to why these folks aren't coming together? Yeah, I think so. So, you know, th this is a really kind of big and interesting topic because with the owners locking out the players, like that already kind of sets a... To me, it feels almost like a disadvantage, right? Because to be able to play, then the players are going to have to come back and accept something that it doesn't seem like they want to accept. Right. Yeah, I think there's, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, I mean, we're, they're, they're talking about how player salaries keep dropping, yet Max Scherzer just signed a contract where he's making, what, $43 million a year? $43 million a year to throw a fucking baseball, okay? Uh, it, it's insane. Like, the money that these guys make is insane. So, uh, like, I, that just seems a little bit disingenuous to me, but... Um, some of the, some of the uh, one of the other big things that they're talking about is arbitration, which is a very complex, stupid way that that things work in baseball. But to kind of uh, put it in layman's terms, is right now players are locked up on their teams for a lot of years. Um, they get a certain number of years, four or five years or something, where they're just you're just on the team, <laughs> you you're just stuck there. And you're going to make a small salary. And then after that, you get a couple of years of arbitration, which we've talked about before, where you go in front of an arbiter and you say, hey, I'm worth $10 million. And the team says, no, you're worth a buck and a quarter. And the arbiter says, okay, you get $4 million. And, and you do that two or three times. And then by the time you're in your, you know, your late 20s, then maybe you get a chance to be a free agent. And obviously, players don't like this. They want to be able to get out there earlier to make that money. And, uh, and and owners want to do the exact opposite. In fact, one of the things they talked about is locking up players until they're 29 and a half years old, which is insane, right? Like, it's pretty much universally known that, that 27 is kind of the magic year for baseball players. That's generally the year when you can expect people to perform at their best, where they, they, they've gotten to that point with experience and with age that they're they're ready. And then once they hit 27, then it kind of starts to tail off. And, and it doesn't mean that they're garbage immediately, but... But that's kind of the prime of their seat, their their career, and so owners want to lock them up well beyond that, and that's just going to impact the amount of salary, right? Because why do I want to give this guy who's thirty years old all this money when that his best years are behind him? So, a lot of interesting things there, and part of the reason that arbitration is is such a huge hot button topic is because teams have deliberately 
been uh what's the word that i'm looking for manipulating the uh the arbitration thing and i don't remember exactly what it was with chris bryant with the cubs but i think they like yeah. waited a week and a half to bring him up the, the year that he came into the big leagues it was a no-brainer like this kid was going to be a star he was going to be a great player there's no reason he wasn't on the roster but they waited like a week and a half to bring him up because that extra week and a half meant if he played the rest of the year on this on the the big league team he still wouldn't quite he, he still wouldn't trigger arbitration if he had played that week and a half or whatever that time frame was he would have triggered arbitration a year early so by pushing yeah. that off a week and a half and then bringing him up they basically just gave themselves an extra free year, well, not free, but an extra year of control over this player that everybody expected was going to be a great player, which he was. I mean, injuries have beaten him up now, but, you know, it, there's no reason why he shouldn't have been on the team. So no, and they, they, the, the owners and the teams manipulate this like crazy. Yeah, and that's where I was going to go because I was actually going to bring that up. Like the Brewers have done that for years, like all the way back to like J.J. Hardy they did mm -hmm. it because basically what has happened here is there's kind of a magical formula and numbers where to be eligible to renew someone's contract, they need to play between X number and Y number of big league days of service is what they call it. And generally, and I don't have all the numbers in front of me, but generally there's like 160 days in a season where you get big league service. And I'm just making stuff up to give you an example, you know, loyal listener. But, you know, they need to have 145 days to then move to that first year of arbitration. So, like the Brewers, when they see, oh, JJ Hardy's at 127 days, hey, JJ, we're sending you down for two weeks because then when you come back, you're only going to have 144 days of service, which means that, oh, now you have to play this extra year because you only had 144 days of service right. instead of 145. And so many teams do this, and that's one of the things that the players get frustrated about because it takes them, you know, that two or three or five years to hit arbitration, and then that arbitration period is still where they're getting salary suppressed. And like Skanzi said, by that time, they're 28, 29, 30, and unless you have these teams that are like money bags, they're not going to get paid what they might want to get paid. Yeah, it's, it's really kind of a crap system. But here's here's the rub, though. Here's, here's where you have to also talk about the fact that this is also what lets teams like the Brewers actually compete. Uh, like right now, we've got who all is under arbitration? Pretty much all of our big guys, right? All of our pitchers, I think, yeah. are under arbitration. Haters <laughs> under arbitration. Like a lot of the big time stars the Brewers have right now are, are in arbitration or they're still, or they're pre-arbitration. And as soon as they get out of arbitration, they're gone. Like the Brewers are not yeah. going to be able to afford them. So unless they well, can talk like somebody, Garcia, right? <laughs> yeah, unless they can talk somebody into a team-friendly deal for an extended period of time, they're gone. And even at that point, they're paying Christian Yelich, who's hitting two twenty, like two hundred and fifty million dollars a year or something crazy ass like that, and uh, they don't have the money. So even if they got a team-friendly deal for most of these guys, they probably can't sign them. So you know, it's it's it, it kind of goes both ways. As a Brewers fan. I kind of need this to be in place because it allows us to actually compete with some of these other teams. But on the flip side, I mean, you can see that it's really not a great deal for the players. Yeah, and it's such a short-sighted because, like you said, now these players are just gone. And it, it's hard because you look at the different leagues and every league has its challenges. Like in the NFL, 
every single player is basically disposable, right? Because, oh, we can just cut this guy and go sign another guy and it doesn't matter. And and you have the NBA where, like, it, they basically are playing with Monopoly money because it's like, you know, the San Antonio Spurs have signed Sconzi to a one-year deal for $12.5 million. And then you don't even play, but they're just putting you on the payroll because they can, yeah. right? Like, yeah. that kind of thing. So MLB is kind of on the opposite end of that, but I don't know that I would want MLB to get to the other end where, you know, half of these dudes that the Brewers signed for six hundred k are all of a sudden costing six million dollars each yeah well i think the interesting thing too and i mean we could talk about this probably forever but you know let's let's say that arbitration gets chopped down and players are available to to leave their team and go into free agency starting you know three years after they come into the big leagues so now you got all these you know young 20s mid 20s players who are out there hitting their prime uh i'm sorry but there's only a handful of teams that they can afford these Max Scherzer like deals, right? Like there's not a whole bunch of teams. So what's going to happen when, first of all, you're going to have all these big teams that are going to be loaded with all the superstars, right? Um, but then at some point they're going to hit that salary cap or the, the, the pretend salary cap, the, the luxury tax or whatever. Uh, but what's going to happen when you don't have a choice but to go to the Milwaukee Brewers who can't afford to pay you more than $5 million a year instead of the $17 million a year that you were expecting? You know, how does that impact salaries overall? I don't know. I, I just. Well, one thing that I think is really interesting, and I don't know that they're going to address this, but I think this is part of the root problem is the basic like poverty level that players play at to be in the minor leagues. Right. Yeah, right. Like, I think that's part of I think that's a big part of this conversation, because a lot of these players, you know, if you're not a first round pick where you're getting that slotted salary, you're probably losing money playing in the minor leagues in the hopes that you eventually will make it to the big leagues where you're going to make money. This is the very like backwards, like old school, you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you got to work hard and you got to show them that you're a person who's committed to the team and like all of that stuff. Right. Because if we were to revamp some of that and say, okay, so if you are signing with this team, we're paying you this much. And then that puts the commitment on the big league club to make sure that they're not just like hoarding random people and they're actually like committing to okay like we want to develop these guys and move them up and move them through our system instead of well we can just pay you thirty thousand dollars for five years to be around <laughs> like again it's it's kind of a pros and cons thing right so think about you know and i don't know what he made maybe he was making bank but you think about a dude like tim dillard right tim dillard played until like i don't even know i i, I don't know how old he is i'm guessing he's maybe late 30s if not early 40s but he had a minor league job anywhere he wanted it <laughs> like right you know and it's probably one of those things where he's not making three million dollars for them sure you know i'm trying to look it up quickly like there's there's guys who are just like the career minor leaguers and it's like you know if you have that, between that and working again in like you know bar industry or food service like sure do your passion thing right because you're basically getting paid the same amount yeah it's it's you would you would hope that somewhere along the line people would want to um like take care of the minor league players and what they're like i mean these are guys who are playing for you know three thousand dollars a month or something like it's it's yeah. poverty wages really and and uh 
that that's something players should be fighting for. But let's be honest. Do you think Max Scherzer gives a shit about the minor league players? Like right. he's, he's 40 years old. He's making 43 million or whatever a year. Like he didn't give a shit. And there's probably a couple players maybe here or there, but the vast majority of them, I'm getting mine. I don't care. And uh, so I don't know that they're ever going to really fight for that. I just don't know that they will. So let me turn this topic to a different question before we move on. How do you, Skanzi, feel as a fan about the prospect of a baseball lockout? I, I kind of feel the same way that I felt, you know, during the pandemic. We've got billionaires who are fighting with millionaires because they both want more money. I mean, I I know that I'm not one who, who does the swearing, but I don't really give a fuck. I, I, I just... I, 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 can't, I can't give a fuck about that. Like, get your head out of your ass. Sorry, that's where I'm at. I don't really care. Fair enough. Oh, well, that's why I asked the question, because I thought I'd get a good answer, and I did. <laughs> so. Are we spinning the wheel? We're spinning the wheel. All right. By the way, Tim Dillard has a career war of minus 0.5, just for the record. Uh, Minneapolis schools. All right, so we are going to talk about Minneapolis. So, after disturbing trends in student achievement, Minneapolis school officials decided on an overhaul to their school system. They decided to assign families to new school zones, redrawing the boundaries to take socioeconomic diversity and, as a consequence, racial diversity into account. North High in Minneapolis, for instance, now dips further south, including a, a it's at the swath, but I didn't want to use it, but I'm going to use it anyway. So a swath <laughs> of wealthier, whiter neighborhoods. So unlike previous desegregation efforts, which typically required children of color to travel to white schools, Minneapolis officials are asking white families to help do the integrating. The district believes that integration can deliver benefits for all of its children. As an example, black children who are exposed to desegregation generally experience higher educational achievement, higher annual earnings as adults, a lower likelihood of incarceration, and better health outcomes, according to longitudinal work by economists at the University of California, Berkeley. They say that these gains come at no cost to the educational achievement of the white students. Other research has documented how racially and economically diverse schools can benefit all students including white children by reducing biases and promoting skills like critical thinking. I'm sorry. I said the word critical. <sighs> we're, 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 this podcast is no longer allowed in Texas. We're, we're banned in Texas, South Carolina, probably Kentucky, Ohio. They fucking suck. You know. <laughs> but so back to uh this i think that this is an interesting idea right like my brain goes to the fact that if we think about milwaukee as an example now this isn't happening in milwaukee but if we think about the you know socioeconomic setup in milwaukee a lot of the schools that are in you know poor condition and have a lot of the most high need students if they did something like this you're going to end up infusing money into those schools which a is going to help the building conditions b it's going to help the curricular activities because you might actually get textbooks and computers and resources that'll help 
all the children. Like, I think that that's a very interesting approach because, you know, the school in itself often is what drives civic pride for families who want to invest their money into that community. So I think that's a very interesting approach. Yeah, I I think, you know, I sent, I, I, I think this is the one that I sent you where you said, what what's your angle on this? Like, no, you, that was the other that one. The other that one? was the other one. Uh, this, this one I'm all about. I, I think that this is, you know, it's going to be hard, right? Like, this is not a simple, cool, everybody be good together. But I think if it works, it'll be an interesting experiment. Yeah, well, the other thing, too, that's worth mentioning is there are people hightailing out of this school. Like, a bunch of the new families that are being sent to the school, um, they're saying, no, I don't want to go. Um, and and it's, it's really worth saying that that this article really shines a really bright light on, on the woman who uh, is the principal of the school. And she, she comes across as someone who's super caring and super passionate. Uh, she, she welcomes the kids into school every single morning. She's there to say hello when they come in. Like this is someone who's bending over backwards trying to do things to make this school better. She brought in a bunch of AP courses, which this, this school has never had before. Like she's doing a lot of really, really positive things. And I think that this is, to your point, B, the more that you can make the the school uh, students more diverse, it's going to give people a much different and better view of the world, I think. It's going to it's going to expose people to different points of view and different cultures and all of that. That's all amazing. Um, the, when you expand the, the, or, or change where that school zone is, as we all know, that school money comes from property taxes. So if you're adjusting it into wealthier areas, you're going to get extra income that can help support the school. All of that is fantastic. I don't think it's, anybody can argue with that. But here's, here's, the, here's the rub. A lot of people choose where they live specifically because they want to go to a certain school. Like I've got a friend who's doing that right now, kind of in the market for buying a house. And I want to stay in this specific area because I want my kid to go to this specific school. So now what if they change that and say, well, now you're actually going to go to this other school. So now what do I do? So, now I have to so drive my kids. This. I need to drive my kids to another, you know, a half hour every day back and forth. My sister's doing that right now. My, my daughter goes to a school that's 30 or 45 minutes away from where they live every single day. She's got to run her back and forth like this. That That's not easy for anybody. Now, all of a sudden you're at, you're adding in a hindrance to people um, because of that. Or I have to understand completely that the goal is to, to, to raise the, the standard of education in that school. I a hundred percent get that. But if you just look at it on the base, you're saying, okay, so this school that's testing in the 30th percentile, I now have to send my child there instead of sending them to the school that's testing in the 85th percentile. So what you're doing is you are punishing my child and forcing my child to go to a substandard school. I'm sorry, but I'm not gonna be okay with that. So I understand the benefits and I am 100% on board with this happening, but I can also see the other side where, where I would be pissed if it was my kid, because now, because he, he, all the benefits, I could even see the benefits. My kid's gonna get exposed to different people and cultures, which I think is great. My kid is going to be going into a school that's got a principal who gives a shit about the children, about the school. Um, which I love. Um, the school spirit here is it looks like it's off the freaking charts. Like the alumni love the school. That's fantastic. I want my child to be a part of that. But if their education is going to take a hit, now I have to say, why, why, do I, why do I want that? So, you know, one of the things that I was reading about this story too is that 
parents can opt out of this, right? And I think that's one of the things that is important is that if you want your child to go to a different school and you already live in this neighborhood where there's a school right down the block, but that school is no longer in your thing, if you can get your child to school or if they want to walk to that school, they can go to that school. That's how Minneapolis has their stuff set up, right? So if you want the transportation, like you go to the school that you're assigned to. If you want to arrange your own transportation, you can go to any school that you want. So, you know, I think from a perspective of that, that is still helpful because if you're going to ask low-income families, yes, do you want this student to go to this thing? They're not going to have, typically, the same access to transportation, the same ability to get their kids to these other places if they don't want to be in the school that they're in, right? I think that this is one of those things where it's like, we're raising everybody up, hopefully. So it it's one of those things where I don't think it's going to be an easy transition. Like you said, there's probably going to be a lot of people who are pissed off about it, but this is the kind of stuff that we need to help everyone and to stop everything being about me, I, what I want all the time and only me. Right. But my job as a parent is also to give my, my child the best possibility for success. Right. So, so what, like you said, though, they're, they're trying to do that at the school. So sure. They're what, trying what to, but that, be, what that else doesn't... would you be wanting? Right. I guess that's my question. Okay, great. So you're telling me as like a politician that, Hey, these are all the great things that we're going to do. Well, great. Put up or shut up. I don't see you doing a goddamn thing right now. Like what I can see is that your school is not as good as the school my kid was going to. That's a problem. And you're going to have people that argue that. In fact, there was a whopping total of 13 new students, white students who came into the school. 13. I don't know what the number was of the number of people that should have been in there, but of all the ones that could have been there, a whopping 13 decided to go. So yes, in theory, I think this is a great idea. I think we need to do it. I, I think that I think that you, this is going to help improve more people, right? But you can also see that people aren't accepting it. So how do you, how do you get people to accept it? Because I guarantee you, you know, there are people out there saying the exact same things that I'm saying that you don't like very much. That's what people are going to well, say. I, and that's what they're doing I mean, because course, they're not even sending their course. kids to that school. So how do you yeah, fix that? I, I'm not going to argue about that. You can have your own feelings. They can have their own feelings. And my response to that is then go send your kid to the other fucking school. If that's what you want, then that's what you can do. Like, okay, but that that's doesn't, that, that's not solving anything then. So how do we, how do we get over that? So Wiggum had an idea, give them a year and say, you have a year, adjust what you need to adjust. And then this is what's going to happen. Okay. So you're forcing people into this. Well, I can see the, the pluses and the minuses of that, but, but how do you actually make this a value to people? Cause obviously people don't see a value in it right now. I mean, some people do obviously, but there's I mean, 13 the students. Only- yeah, the only way you can make it a value is for those 13 students to have a good experience. And then in future years, you may have more families that buy in, right? Like this is one of those things where we can't expect hundreds of people or thousands of families to all of a sudden be like, yeah, this is great. It's a very small incremental change. So you know, that's, I guess, where my brain goes is that I can't expect that all of these families are going to just be like cool that's what i want like that's just not america in 2021 that's not where we live that's not what we do everybody wants whatever the fuck they want and that's it and fuck you that's basically the state of things that we live in right so if these 13 families have decided sure we're going to give this a try i think that's a win now we have to see how that goes but i feel like the small incremental changes are where it starts yeah no i don't disagree i don't disagree 
I'm glad that I got B riled up there a little bit. Let's spin the wheel. Uh, this is a happy story, B. Let's talk about the uh, Milwaukee mobile market. Yes, I, you know, we've always been trying to bring happier and more interesting story. Well, you know, some people might not think this is happy because they'd be like, why don't you bring that to my part of town? But the <laughs> <laughs> Hunger Task Force in Milwaukee, Wisconsin is partnering with local food store Piggly Wiggly to bring healthy, affordable fruits, vegetables, and more food to food deserts in the city. With the help from a federal grant, the Hunger Task Force is able to offer an additional 50% off of all purchases made on the mobile market beyond Piggly Wiggly's retail prices. The market makes stops in local neighborhoods daily, Monday through Friday. So basically the way that this works is it's kind of like a big van or like a big bus. And there's food on the inside, so you typically have access to meats and fruits and basically non-processed foods. You can get on the bus, you can use a debit card or the EBT or SNAP benefits, basically the, you know, food, basically what people would think of as like food stamps, but like that's not actual thing anymore, <laughs> you know. So it's a really cool thing, though, because it gives people who may not have access to these healthy foods access to those foods at a discount so i think that that's kind of cool yeah i think it's super cool i think this is amazing so the the term food desert was used a lot and this is there's just a video on here um if you're not familiar with what a food desert is i don't, I don't have the, the dictionary definition but but essentially there's there's a lot of places especially in um certain metro areas big big cities where there just isn't a place for someone to go and get fresh healthy foods right like i take it for granted I'm sure we all take it for granted. Well, shit, I just, I got a, I got a festival foods right down the road. And then I've got a pick and save another block down. And then I've got a Meyer 17 blocks the other way. Like I got 9 million different op opportunities. It's also much easier for me to get to those. But what you're finding is there's a lot of areas, especially in downtown areas and poorer areas where that doesn't exist. There are pick and save or Aldi's or Piggly Wiggly or whatever big supermarket is in your area. They don't want to be there. They don't want to be in that part of town. It's not a great part of town for them to be in. They don't want to be there. So then what these people rely on are these small mom and pop shops. And they don't generally get really good fresh produce or fresh meats and those types of things. And those are very, those, those businesses are the ones that close down really easy because it's, it's hard for them to deal with any kind of economic uh, turmoil. And we just had you know, COVID that was, that was ravishing us as well. So you, you get these areas and uh, the, the, the video talks about this, that, that is very, very difficult for people. Specifically, you're looking at um, a lot of minorities, people who are disabled, people who are elderly, um, people who are poor. These are the main areas that these people are, are living. And these are the people who are most impacted by this. They don't have the ability to, you know, I, I could drive to a grocery store that's five miles away like it's nothing. These people don't have the opportunity to do that, right? And so they can only deal with what's there. So the fact that, that I don't even know who it is that's putting this on, Piggly Wiggly and maybe the city, but the fact that they're bringing these, this food to people who need this and they're doing it at a discount, which is even better, right? Like you're saving money on top of it. It's, it's amazing, you know, as someone who grew up poor and, you know, not eating the best foods, not because we didn't have the opportunity to, but we just flat out couldn't freaking afford it. 
um i think this is great i think this is this is amazing and 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 you know they even talked to a couple people there and you could hear how happy it was and how relieving it was that you know what not only could i actually buy real freaking food healthy food it didn't cost me an arm and a leg like this is amazing and and this this is the kind of shit that we need to do more of right yeah and this is something that i guess has been around for a while i just wasn't super aware of it so that's why i wanted to bring it to light because it's something that's really helpful to the community because if you you know i'm a native milwaukee and so i'm definitely familiar with the city there are parts of the city where there is not a food store like it's all of the like corner stores and what folks might call like the bodegas and whatever things like that right but they often don't have the fresh fruits or vegetables and stuff it's all of the prepackaged sodas and chips and candies yep. and all of that kind of stuff so it's like yeah that's what folks are going to buy because that's what they have access to but you know it's really good that folks have access to this and if I'm being honest with you, as you were talking, I'm still sitting over here thinking about the last story because I'm thinking about all of the other stuff that we've talked about, like, oh, if these people don't want to be in this school district, then maybe they move. And then the property values increase in that area that none of them <laughs> wanted to live in. But now the school that they want is part of that district. So, oh, we're helping that community rise up. And maybe now y'all can stop keeping the people out of your community that you don't like being in there because now you don't want to be in that community anymore. So maybe those people actually have some access to fucking food now. I don't know that I followed all that, but you're very happy with it, so I'm happy for you. Uh, Old Man Wiggum posted the definition of a food desert, an area that has limited access to affordable and nutritious food, in contrast with an area with higher access to supermarkets or vegetable shops with fresh food, which is called a food oasis. So I think I did a pretty decent job kind of summarizing that off the cuff. So... Yeah, this is just, this is good news. This is really good news. Like we, we live in a country that is rich beyond belief. I mean, you know, Max Scherzer making 43 million fucking dollars a year. And uh, we throw away God knows how much food, which is ridiculous. We got people starving to death and we're throwing away fucking food. Like there's no reason that we shouldn't be able to make food affordable and get it in the hands of people that need it. Like it, it, I cannot tell you how much my blood boils thinking of the fact that there are kids going to going to sleep tonight fucking hungry it it drives me fucking nuts that's the only thing that makes you matter than max scherzer making 43 million dollars you, know, you really seem upset about that fucking max scherzer. <laughs> guys 712 years old and they're paying him 43 million a year get out of here uh old man yeah. wiggum is offering up some durian candy to people I want to make some sort of really horrible racial comparison there, but I'm not going to do it. Oh boy. Uh, Lush? What the hell is Lush? Do I know what Lush is? Oh, Lush. I remember Lush. So, cosmetics company Lush has shut down its Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Snapchat accounts, citing its concern about the harms of social media in the wake of the Facebook whistleblower's allegations. In the same way that evidence against climate change was ignored and belittled for decades, concerns about the serious effects of social media are going largely ignored now, the company said in a press release. Lush's Facebook and Instagram accounts had a combined 10.6 million followers. Now, Lush has done this before because they are pretty common about taking common stands on various social issues, and previously they had quit Facebook and Instagram in 2019 because they were tired of fighting with algorithms, although they then decided later to come back to their friends. So, 
are, are they already back or have they at least kept these deleted for like a week is my question well i, I don't know i haven't looked it up but you know what this is this is this is a good story i mean no matter how you know tongue-in-cheek brian's being and pessimistic he's being about this uh this is this is a good message to send regardless right um hopefully they stick to it uh the ceo came out and said hey we're gonna lose 13 million dollars a year and i'm perfectly okay with that we'll see what the you know the board and the investors think of that but um like the, the fact that they're coming out and they're saying look these platforms have been proven by the platforms themselves to be dangerous to girls who let's be honest teenage girls this is their market this, this is their base like you're 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 causing the people that we need to care about and our consumers well that's our money to kill themselves you're, you're fucking with their mental health we're not going to deal with that we're bowing out like this is a good story we need more of this shit to happen Yeah, I just hope that they stick with it because that's the whole thing. It's like if you get mad and then you just leave and then you go back, like right. You know, it's kind of just doing it for the publicity at that point, right? Yeah. But if they actually stick to it, then sure, like great that that's a good thing. Yeah, for sure. All right, B, cool. where are we at time wise? We're at. Uh, I mean, we're close we're, forty we're, minutes. We're, yeah, I mean, we're probably like thirty-ish. For you know, we're probably we can probably get one more in if you want, because we don't have a super long random rankings today. <laughs> yeah, we don't. Uh, are, is there any of these that you want to uh, get in on? Um, not necessarily. Like, I I think I've already gotten mad enough for the day, so I don't really have. Like, I feel like the intellectual property one is interesting, just because I would want to get your opinion as a. Uh, you know, intellectual property privacy expert, but other you know, than that, I'm not really tied to any of these. I read that article and I didn't understand what it was trying to say. Like, I didn't, I felt like it was a, like it was a, a, an article, but it was really just a headline and there was no, no meat to it. I don't know. Oh, uh, okay. Well, I was, I kind of pulled a couple of things together. I think I used like a couple of articles because I was trying to figure out what was going on. Oh, that's probably so why. Yeah. Or should we do that one? Sure. I don't know if they got much to add, but go ahead and throw it out there. All right. So we're going to talk about COVID because y'all aren't tired of us talking about COVID yet, right? But <laughs> we're going to talk about President Joe Biden has called on nations to agree to waive the intellectual property protections for COVID-19 vaccines in the wake of a new coronavirus variant in South Africa. The Biden administration has faced criticism over the failure to get vaccines to poorer countries while supplying free booster shots to Americans. So what is going on here is basically Biden is asking companies like Pfizer and Moderna to share their vaccine formulas so that production of vaccines can be expanded by other companies, especially in low-income countries. Those who are representing Big Pharma and folks who have these intellectual property um, you know, rights say that if these waivers are granted, that is going to backfire in the next global health crisis because it will deter people from being innovative if they feel as though their intellectual property will just be given away willy-nilly without them getting that Zeke Elliott feed me of the week. Yeah. Um, I was waiting for the drop. Never came. Oh. <laughs> Zeke Elliott feed me of the week. 
So that's kind of why I wanted to get your insight on this, right? Because it's like, on one hand, like, yes, you developed this, like, you should be compensated fairly. But at the same time, this is something that, like, people need and, like, stop being selfish. I don't know. So it's kind of one of those weird, this is another one of our typical ethics conversations, it seems like to me. So I wanted to get your ethical thoughts. So, so I'm going to start with these very ethical pharmaceutical companies who are in it to save people's lives and to not make money are angry that if this goes through, then it's going to hinder things in the future because companies aren't going to want to innovate because they're not going to be able to make ass tons of money, right? Because they're just going to give their patent away. Yep. Now, I want to, I want to read you a little bit of a story here about uh, Frederick Banting. Do you know who Frederick Banting is, B? I do not. In 1923, he discovered insulin, and he refused to put his name on the patent. I'm reading this off uh, some website, so I hope they're really accurate. Uh, he felt it was unethical for doctors to profit from a discovery that could save lives. Now, his co-inventors actually sold the patent to the University of Toronto for a dollar because they felt that this medication needed to be affordable and, and out in the masses. Now, I'm pretty sure that these billion, billion, billion dollar pharmaceutical companies that don't want to have their IP sent out are making a shit ton of fucking money off of insulin. That's my guess. I don't know for sure that they, they produce insulin or make insulin or however you do to synthesize insulin, but I'm suspecting they probably do. So basically, this is another great big rich motherfucker saying, hey, I got mine. I'm not going to let you get yours. And let me just say, and I'm going to say this not quietly even though i'm quiet right now go fuck yourself that's what i gotta say about that this is some garbage so are they wrong maybe maybe not i think the fact that we live in a world where companies are saying hey we can't save people's lives because if we save people's lives then the next time that people's lives need saving we might not want to help save their lives what the motherfuck are you talking about? What? Like, this is the dumbest shit I ever heard. Not to mention the fact that, you know, all the rage this weekend was over this new, uh, this new variant that's out there. And, and a lot of people are talking about the fact that the reason these variants keep spinning up is because it's, the, the virus is allowed to run wild. And why is it able to run wild? Well, it's because people aren't fucking vaccinated. Now we can talk about the assholes in the states who aren't vaccinated, but that's a different story altogether, Mega Man 4000. But there's a lot of these, there's a lot of these places that just don't have the vaccine because of all this shit that's going on, right? Like we need to be able to get the vaccine to these people. Even if we look outside, let's make this completely personal. Like be like, say we only care about ourselves. Well, I want to be able to go to the fucking bar. So we need this virus to stop mutating. So let's get, let's get the virus, the, the fucking vaccine to the people that need it, right? But let me be completely selfish about it and say it's all about getting me to the bar. If that gets people vaccinated so people stop dying, I'm fine. I'll be the asshole and say it's all about me getting to the bar. But we just need to get this in the hands of people that need it. And the fact that these pharmaceutical companies, which are about the worst fucking companies in the world, not named Facebook or Meta or whatever the fuck they're going to call themselves next week, is just icing on the cake. 
I'm glad that we talked about this because that that was kind of what I was expecting based on your rich people arguing with rich people. (laughs) But I mean, it's like it's kind of one of those things where it's it's kind of like it's a different spin on the should the Tom Brady guy give back the football, right? Like, you know, it's it's different shades, right? Because, again, these are rich people arguing that they want to stay rich when they could help people, which that becomes an ethical thing. Like in theory, if you're in healthcare, you should want to help people, but there's just as many people in healthcare who don't want to get vaccinated and all that. as well, there are people who want to get vaccinated, right? So these are like, the, these are the same fucking people that, that charge like a hundred or 200 or $800 a vial of insulin. These are the right. same fucking people that, you know, raise the price of an EpiPen by like 800%. So there are fucking people out here dying because they can't afford an EpiPen. Like they, that, right. they put profits literally in front of people's lives. I don't give a goddamn what they have to say about anything. All right. Well, I'm not even going to say more because I feel like we need to end it on that. <laughs> and now it is time for the not random rankings. <laughs> So, I mean, this is really going to kind of turn into random rankings, right? So well, it kind week, of is. So this week, we wanted to do a random rankings, which is going to give you, loyal viewer and loyal listener, an update on our next few weeks here on We Random. So we are going into the most wonderful time of the year, and we will be doing our podcast next Tuesday on December 7th, and we'll be doing our podcast on December 14th, and then after December 14th, we will be taking a well-deserved break through the end of 2021. We shall be returning to your ear holes and to your monitors on January 4th of 2022, but We're not going to leave you adrift in that time. What we're going to do is we are going to recreate Skonzi's favorite new saying, re-random. What we're going to do is we want to post a re-random episode during our break time, but we need your suggestions. So what we want to do, we want to pull together some of the greatest hits from 2021 on this podcast so we have already started a list of wonderful options and we need you loyal viewer and loyal listener to help us out and tell us what you've enjoyed from this year so as an example i'm gonna pull up my list i've already made a list of some of our most wonderful moments so as an example episode 23 (laughs) our random rankings meme draft where we spent like 20 minutes just talking about memes also we had skonzi's favorite episode 46 where there were not one not two not three not even four or five but dicks i thought you were gonna hit me but you didn't hit me with it six fucking people (laughs) No, it's funny because Wiggum and, and Emily both said six effing people at the exact same time. It was great. Yeah, that was actually the first one that I added to the list, just so y'all know. But, you know, we've also added things like when I just did the Ric Flair woo and when Sconzi said that the podcast needed to be triple mature and the time that old man Wiggum tried to bust me because I said a topic full of wheels, you know, things like that. So... We were going to add to this. We're going to clip it all together and we're going to send it out because that's what we do. 
Yeah, I really, you know, there's a, there's a podcast that I used to listen to. I don't really get to listen to it much anymore. I don't make time to Uh-oh. listen to it. It's really my fault. You're uh, talking and I can't hear you. Yeah, I accidentally muted you. Um, there's a uh, there's a podcast that I that I listen to or have listened to, um, and every year they do. They, you know, they spend the last couple of weeks of the year. They kind of take some time off, and they do like a recap video. Let's recap some of the, you know, the best moments of of the year, kind of thing. Um, I have not kept close enough tabs, and I don't know that I could go in and 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 pick out like individual little moments. But you know, if we're able to pull up some of those, great. Otherwise, I think what we'll do is we'll look for maybe specific topics that we want to talk about or, or specific topics we want to revisit and then kind of pile them together in kind of a, a compilation to say, hey, we're going to take a couple of weeks off and uh, let you guys enjoy your holidays without us bugging you and for us to, you know, get a breather. Um, and uh, yeah, so I wanted to open up to see if there's anything else that jumps on your mind besides the six, seven people that everybody everybody remembers. Uh, the funny thing is, is I, I'm the one who said it and I didn't even, I hadn't really thought about it much, but that wasn't the first, like we came up with this idea and I was like, okay, I need to think of something. And then Brian says six F and people. And I was like, Oh, that's right. We need, we need that one. Uh, Leslie, nope. Winning the Island random rankings. Oh yes. Oh, God, I forgot about that one. Okay. We'll have to get that one. Um, there was another one that I sent Sconzi from our, um, I'd have to go back and look, but where he said the F word like nine times in like 90 seconds. Oh boy. Leslie, nope. And uh, yeah, Emily, that was, the, that was actually the first one I thought of was uh, B getting upset. God, you're drinking your water and you got the max headroom thing. So it's just going, it's funny. Anyway, um, yes, it was one of our short videos of the week. One of our clips, it was the one where B went off about uh, the Wisconsin, what's, Wisconsin GOP about oh, yeah, returning yeah, yeah. to like, school or COVID or yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, Wisconsin okay. GOP COVID. Yeah, that was yeah. a good one too. Yeah. Anything else that jumps to mind with y'all? And you can obviously send us ideas over the course of the next few weeks as well. It's, it's not definitely tied into this, but we figured that this would be an opportunity to share an update on the schedule with everybody, both those those of you who are live and those who may listen or watch later and also solicit some ideas in the moment. If you had any, I don't know that we need to hang on and, and wait forever on this, but we can give it a minute or two. Um, in the meantime, B, do you, do you know what your extra point is going to be? I mean, my extra point is just, Hey, we all had a, no, you don't need to do it now. I just want to know if you know what it is. It's not an extra point. It's just kind of a me talking and, Talking to the people. Oh, Wiggs, that's a good one, too. All right, what has Wiggs got for us? Highlights from Ellie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Cool. All right, I think we've got some good ones. Please keep sending those to us, um, because this is really for you guys more than it is for us, right? So so let us know the things that you want to revisit, things that that jump out at you, and we'll come up with some stuff as well, and we'll get that sent out, and uh, hopefully that'll be good. Also... If you haven't, go check out the the short video I made on YouTube. Give it a thumbs up. You know, I'm you know, it's my first YouTube short. It was the re-random clip. It was pretty funny. I think everybody probably saw it. Anyway, now, B, how about you tell us your not extra point? 
So my not extra point for this week is just to welcome you all back after the Thanksgiving holiday. I hope for those of you who celebrated, it was great. For me, it was wonderful. I loved having my five straight days off of work, not worried about anything except for doing stuff that I wanted to do around my house and spending time with people that I enjoyed. So that was really great. I think it's always important that we take that moment to recharge and get back to it because life is too short not to. So thank you for being with us as always, and we'll see you these next couple weeks. And then we got this re-random for you. It's coming. I can't believe re-randoms actually becoming a real thing. This is hilarious. Sure is. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about, I guess about family, but, but really just about people that are close to us or you or me. Um, so over Thanksgiving, I did have the opportunity to hang out with my parents, who I don't see very often. Um, we celebrated on Saturday. I mentioned that a little bit earlier. I don't know if that was pre podcast or post, but, um, we celebrated on Saturday and, and my dad really wanted me to come and watch football with him on Thanksgiving. So, uh, I, I made the hour and a half trek to, to go hang out and watch some football. And then uh, I got to see him again on Saturday for Thanksgiving for our celebration. Uh, they drove out this way and we hung out and, um, it was a good time. And it, it just, uh, it brings me back to a message that I think, that I think I've talked about probably once or twice before on this podcast, but it was a TikTok of all things where uh, there was some sort of an interview going on and, and you know, the guy um, asked, asked him, said, you know, you know, your parents are probably getting up there in age, you know, uh, they may only live, say, 10 more years. It's like, how often do you get out to see your parents? And the guy's like, yeah, maybe once a year. So, okay, so you don't have 10 years left with your parents. You've got 10 times left with your parents. And it's just mind blowing to me, right? Because, you know, my parents are getting up there in age and, and they've got their own health things that they're dealing with. Um, I don't know how much longer that they've got, but when you put it into that kind of a perspective, right? Cause it's, it's, it's not like I'm there every weekend. I could be, I wanted to be right, but I'm not. Uh, so it, it makes those moments when I do get the opportunity to spend time with them that much more important. And, and that's why the second that you know, my mom reached out and said, Hey, dad wants you to come watch football. It took all of two seconds for me to say, absolutely. I'm there hundred percent. And it was great. And, and, you know, we sat on the couch, we talked bullshit. We argued about football and everything else, and we had a great time, and uh, it was awesome. So uh, I, I guess that this is just my, me saying, take a break, take a step back, take a breath, and think about those people in your lives that maybe you haven't seen recently, or you haven't spoken to, or that person that you haven't reached out to say, hey, you know what? I love you, man. And, uh, and make sure that they know that. And, and visit when you can. And, and keep in mind that everything sounds and seems limitless, but it really isn't. And I think it's important that that's something that we keep in mind um, all the time. But this time of year, it always, it always comes up even more for me. So that's what I got, B. You want to wrap us up? 
That's fair, I sure will. And what you shared is why I send you one minute clips where I get everything out and then I go back to being thankful that I have these <laughs> things to plan. But for now, you can find us here on YouTube every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We randoms only here on Tuesday, but you can find Skonzi here on Wednesday and Thursday. You can find us on Twitter, Landmark MKE for me, Skonzi over there for Skonzi, AQ underscore P-R-O-D if you want to find our fun video clips. You can always find this podcast in your favorite podcast app under We Random. And if you want to find Skonzi as always and forever, at least until he gives them away, you can find him on Amazon Sidewalk. <laughs> no, you can't. All right, y'all. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you again, and we will talk to you next time. See you, everybody.